Protests have certainly been in the news for the last many months. Protests of every sort about almost everything. Certainly there have been protests about political issues and social issues. Uh, even sports and athletics have seen protests on the part of the athletes, protesting one thing or another. Everybody seems like in these days they are protesting something. Our English word for protest actually comes from a compound Latin word, pro, in favor of, test, protest. In other words, the word literally means to testify in favor of something. It's kind of ironic that today when people protest, they're usually arguing or testifying against something. But the Latin word actually means to argue in favor of something. So, uh, again, protest. We're familiar with protest. In our text that was read for us by Jeff just a few moments ago, and I'm going to identify this as our text passage. We're going to keep coming back to it throughout our lesson. In our text, Jesus foretold that there are going to be protests on Judgment Day. Can you imagine that? The people who will be protesting won't be holding up signs or marching arm in arm. Uh, They're not going to be protesting about societal injustices. The people on Judgment Day are going to be protesting about their own personal eternal verdict that will be handed down on that day. And we want to look at this text again. We're going to use this text as as the basis of our study together for a few minutes here this morning. Let me stop just briefly to say thanks for being here. Man, it's a beautiful, gorgeous day in Middle Tennessee. Uh, spring is busting out all over, and we're seeing a lot of blooming things, and it's just a really gorgeous time of year. This day is made even better by virtue of the fact that we get to come together on the Lord's Day and worship God. And that's such a blessing and privilege for us, and we're glad that you're here to be a part of it. For those who might be visiting with us today, thanks for coming. Come back whenever you can. Ask whatever questions you might have about what we're doing here at College View. Thanks to everybody for being here today. Let's read this again. I've got the King James Version. I think Jeff was reading a a different translation. This is the King James on the screen. Here, let's read it again together. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so, Jesus clearly is describing the idea of protesters. And kind of amazingly, it's protesters who are going to be protesting on Judgment Day. And again, their protest will be that they don't think they're being treated right. That their verdict, the eternal judgment being handed down to them just isn't right. And so they're going to protest that, Jesus said. And I think that there are several lessons we can be, that we can learn from this very familiar text. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Recognize, of course, that this was in the context, the, the larger context of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in Matthew's account, the Sermon on the Mount is found in chapters 5, 6, and 7. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. So what do we learn? Well, first of all, from what Jesus said here, we, we learn that one doesn't, Become a Christian by simply calling Jesus Lord. 
uh, what we mean by that is that simple verbal acknowledgement of Jesus is not enough. Now, these Judgment Day protesters are going to be people who were willing to call Jesus Lord. Notice, again, looking at our text, I'm going to keep coming back to this text to illustrate our points. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So these people identify that they recognize Jesus as Lord. That's very obvious here. There ought to be a, a real warning, though, that Jesus said that's not enough. This text definitely identifies that as not enough. There are a lot of surveys that are taken. More and more surveys, it seems like, are, are taken. And, and you do a search for a survey on this or that or the percentages of people who do this or that. And, and of course, you get all kind of uh, search returns, uh, search finds when you search for surveys. I did a simple survey to ask how many people in America acknowledge Jesus as God. Obviously, in our day and time, we live in a very secular age. That's the word they use. You know, our society is becoming more and more secular, not, not religiously based. But even though we live in this secular time, a clear majority of Americans still believe that Jesus is God's Son. And so to that extent, they acknowledge Him as Lord. But that's not enough, right? Just to call Jesus Lord is not enough. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Get this, there's that same expression. They call him Lord, but they don't do what he says. So Jesus said, how is that? How is it that you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That's a fair question for Jesus to ask. To ask of the people back then, or to be asked of people today. The word Lord means, uh, very literally, it means someone possessed of absolute power or control. Right? So if you acknowledge someone as Lord, you're saying that person has all the power and all of the control. If you call Jesus Lord then, you are saying that he controls you. That he, that he is the one who has the absolute power. Uh, I would argue that many, in fact, almost certainly most people who call Jesus Lord don't really mean that. When they call Jesus Lord, they don't really mean, Jesus, you have full control of my life. You have all power over the things that I do. It's not enough just to call him Lord. Jesus asked, why would you call me Lord and then not do the things that I tell you to do? All of us need to take note of that. And so from this famous expression in Matthew chapter 7, we see that verbal acknowledgement of Jesus is not enough. Actually, obedience is how one calls on the name of the Lord. And that obedience is necessary in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So that's not, that's not, that's not going to get you there. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And so Jesus is clearly here highlighting the necessity of obedience. It's not enough just to call on the name of the Lord. You must obey. Now, someone says, well, hold on just a minute about that. You're stressing obedience is necessary. Have we got a contradiction here? Because on the day of Pentecost, when the apostle Peter preached the first gospel sermon... 
he quoted Old Testament prophecy and said, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're saying, they're arguing now, you're saying it's not enough to call on the name of the Lord. Peter said it was. Peter quoted Old Testament prophecy. He said, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Is this a contradiction? Uh, was, was Peter making sort of a bogus offer here? Was he saying something not true? Was he trying to deceive the people? Was Peter acting like the, the sort of the classic used car salesman, you know? make an offer and then get them to come in and then change the term, sort of a bait and switch sort of deal. Is that what Peter's doing here? Because Peter quoted Old Testament prophecy. He says, just call on the name of the Lord. If you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. The answer to that, of course, is no. There was no deception on the part of Peter because in the immediate remainder of that sermon recorded in Acts 2, he went on to describe and to show what that meant to call on the name of the Lord. And it definitely meant to be obedient. So, verse 37, when they, that is the audience, heard these things, they were pricked in the heart and said to Peter, to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, he had already told them what to do. Call on the name of the Lord. So they asked the question, what shall we do? Well, Peter says, just call on the name of the Lord. He had already said that, right? Now he explains what that means to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So they got the answer right. Peter said you need to call on the name of the Lord. He explained how you call on the name of the Lord through obeying the gospel, the simple plan of salvation. You've got to repent and be baptized, he said. They understood that. They gladly received the message and they were baptized. They, they're, they saw it. They understood the answer. And we must understand the answer too. To call on the name of the Lord means to do what we have been instructed to do. Another classic example of this is found in the case of the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. When he, and we've just recently studied this in our Wednesday night uh, study of the book of Acts. But when Paul was retelling his conversion. He mentioned the man Ananias coming to him. And we remember verse 16 of Acts 22. Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Be baptized, wash away thy sin. This is how you call on the name of the Lord. Right? So it's also very clear that just acknowledging Jesus, just calling Him Lord, but not doing what He says, that's not enough. Obedience is necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we see this in the text that we're studying this morning. You've got to obey. You can't just have verbal acknowledgement. Something else we can learn from this statement in the Sermon on the Mount is that you cannot do your own thing and attach Jesus' name to it. Jesus seemed to be aware that many would try to do that. Uh, these Judgment Day protesters that we're describing this morning, they're going to try to enumerate their religious deeds, all the good things that they had done. Look at the text again. Many, and I want to emphasize, a lot of people are going to try this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. 
What, is, what do you think about this? you think that they really... So he says there are going to be a lot. There are not going to be a few. There are going to be a lot of people who make this argument. This will be their protest. Their protest is that we've done many good works in your name. What do you think? Do you think that they actually prophesied? They actually cast out devils? They actually did wonderful works, which may imply... Again, they may have been implying miraculous there... I got to argue that I don't think re- that in reality they were because they didn't have the power of God. They weren't truly prophesying. They weren't truly doing miraculous works because they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So my thinking is in reality, no. So what would be the case here? Were, were these just sort of frivolous or false claims on their part? Maybe. Or what it may represent, maybe more likely, is that they had deceived themselves into believing that they had done these things. Have you ever known someone? My guess is you have. I have. Maybe talk to someone who is is of the charismatic persuasion, you know. They really think that they've spoken in tongues. They really think that they have seen miracles happen. We don't think they do. But they've certainly deceived themselves into believing that they have. And I think that may very well be the case that Jesus is describing here. But whatever the case may be, these people were engaged in their own religious uh, religious practices. They were engaged in their own religious practices and they were putting Jesus' name on it. Notice, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many more. In other words, they were out here doing their own thing, but they were, they were trying to attach his name to it for, for acceptance and credibility. And Jesus said, that's not going to work. That's just simply not going to work. It, it has never been true that you can do your own thing and expect God to accept that. There's kind of a neat statement in the, the final verses of the book of Judges. Remember that the book of during the the period of the judges in the Old Testament time frame, uh, they were without a king, and there was lots of ups and downs uh, for the children of Israel during that time frame. And this statement is kind of uh, representative of all of that. Judges twenty one twenty five. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Notice every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It uh, didn't work too well for them in, in that situation. They were not too successful when they just did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Uh, and I really believe that that is the case of much of the religious world today, and it won't work for us either. We cannot just do our own thing and expect God to accept it. The reason why is described famously by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 10, verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We just can't do it. We're not capable. We don't have the capacity to direct our own steps. And so, again, that's not going to work in the judgment day. You can protest if you want. And you can try to list the things that you've done and put, and put the Lord's name on it after you did it, but it's not going to work. The vast majority of religious people in the world today need to hear that. They need to know that that will not... In other words, everybody today seems so content. Oh, you do what you want to do. You do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. You're okay, I'm okay, everything is fine. It's not. And we really need to stress that in judgment, although you may protest, Jesus is going to say that won't work. 
You, you can't put my name on your religious deeds. It will not work. The fact of the matter is that people who do that never have been in a right relationship with the Lord. Notice back to our text again. Uh, and then will I decla- uh, profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Whoa, whoa wait a minute. It wasn't that the Lord accepted that or accepted it partially or accepted it for some time. That, no. He said, I never knew you. Uh, uh, and so uh, that, that, that's pretty definitive, isn't it? I never knew you. you maybe to draw a parallel. So here's a guy. Maybe I'll, uh, imagine that I believe I have this rich uncle. So uh, my rich, I mean, my, my uncle is a really wealthy guy, I might say. And, uh, and I believe uh, that he will leave me a big sum of money. He's going to leave me a lot of money. And so I'm going to go out and I'm going to spend the money before I get it. Because I'm just so sure that my uncle, my rich uncle, my very rich uncle is going to leave me all this bunch of money. And so I'm out buying new cars and and going on expensive vacations, and I'm living the high life because I'm just sure my rich uncle will leave me all this money. And then the will gets opened. He dies. The will is open. My name's nowhere to be found in that will. I was never in his will. I never was in line to get all the money I thought I was going to get when he died. Oh, wow, what a disappointment. Well, that's the situation that Jesus is describing here. That's what these protesters are going to face. They've imagined that they've been doing all these wonderful things in his name. Jesus said, no, I never knew you. Now, that's what judgment is going to be like for these judgment day protesters. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, the book of Revelation concludes with this warning. I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Uh, you don't alter what the Lord has said. You, you, don't, you don't change what he's instructed. You don't violate his commands and do your own thing. You just can't do your own thing and be right with the Lord. It's a very popular idea. Anything goes, in, in our day and time, and, and it seems to be coming more and more so, in our day and time, anything goes religiously. And in fact, we're supposed to acknowledge that everything is okay. It's not. And it, and it has not been. Jesus said, I never knew you. And of course, the principal problem here is iniquity. Or, and I think Jeff's version that he read for us earlier uses the word lawlessness. So the King James Version says they were workers of iniquity. And that word means lawlessness, not respecting Bible authority. So here's the King James again. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And again, that's not a, that's not a word that's too common for us. We don't use it very often. And so lawlessness is clearer, isn't it? And that's what newer versions say there. Depart from me, ye that work lawlessness. What, what idea comes to your mind when the word lawlessness is suggested. I, I don't know about you, but my first idea of lawlessness is probably is some criminal behavior, you know. 
you know, uh, maybe bank robbers or murderers are guilty of lawlessness. They, they, they certainly would be. Uh, they would be breaking the law. So it's law-breaking, no doubt about that. But I believe here the idea is more particularly of not carefully following the law that has been laid down, uh, working but not according to the pattern that's been set forth in the Scripture. And so when you read the word iniquity or lawlessness, it's not necessarily that Jesus is describing people who are out here doing gross violations, you know. No, this is just simply not following the rules. This is, this is lawlessness, not following the pattern set forth in the Scriptures. How often do we stress the importance of Bible authority for our work and worship and our teaching? We have to have a thus saith the Lord, a book, chapter, and verse. A very well-worn verse is Colossians 3.17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of or by the authority of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And so authority, having authority for our religious practices is so critically important. In 1 Peter 4, verse 11, Peter says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so, again... You can't just call Jesus Lord. You can't just acknowledge Him. You have to obey. And you can't just do your own thing and put His name on it and think that's going to get the job done. You've got to have authority religiously. We take all of that from this famous text. And then one more observation. For these Judgment Day protesters, they need to understand that judgment will be final and irreversible. If you go back to that text again, and we don't have to read it all, uh, but you get the idea. They, it's almost like they think they can plead their case and change the verdict, right? When you read that, it's almost like, well, wait a minute. Whoa, wait just a minute here. Let me tell you what I did and how I did it. And it, it's almost like they could plead their case. It's sort of like uh, uh, an umpire at a baseball game. You know? uh, have, you, have you ever seen the, the coach, the rush out onto the field to protest a bad call at, at a ball game. Well, sure you have. They do that a lot, right? Have you ever known an umpire to reverse his call? I don't think I've ever known that to happen, right? These protesters, they're going to protest to Jesus like they might be able to get him to reverse his call. He's not going to reverse the call. The, the, the determination will be complete and final. He will say, depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. A permanent separation will take place. It won't be just temporary. It won't be like Jesus said, well, go, go sit in time out for two or three months and then we'll talk about it again. No. This is going to be complete and final. The best picture we see of the finality of judgment, I, I believe, is seen in that story of the rich man Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. We look at this a lot because it is such a a good picture of what happens after death. We believe here that this is describing two men who died who went to Hades, to the Hadean world, to await final judgment. But even at that, once we die, our fate is sealed. Now, final judgment for these men, I don't believe, had taken place yet and will not take place until the Lord's final return. But at death, our destiny is sealed and permanent and can't be changed. Read that one more time. Luke 16, beginning verse 24. The rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, 
and likewise Lazarus, evil thing. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And so Abraham basically tells the rich man, no, there's nothing that can be done now. It's final. It's complete. There's no undoing it. Uh, again, I, I think that those Judgment Day protesters, the, the suggestion of Jesus' description there of the protest on Judgment Day is, is sort of like, you know, we can talk him out of it. We'll, we'll be able to get a second chance. Uh, maybe we can get him to change his verdict. Uh, maybe we can get our way. No, you're not going to get your way. It, it is going to be a final and complete judgment. All right. So, what do you expect when judgment comes? What's your expectation of what judgment will be like? Well, Jesus here gives us a, a good indication of some of the principles of that final judgment, right? Uh, and we better learn the lesson. You can't just call him Lord. You got to do what he says. You got to be obedient. You can't do your own thing and put your name, put his name on it, and 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 believe that he will accept it. Know that the, the, you've got to follow Bible authority. And then in judgment, the protest, whatever protest you might decide to make, it will not be effective. There'll be no change. We're going to face judgment. Judgment's coming. You know, we talk about things that are certain to happen in the future. There's the old expression, you know, the only thing certain are life in life are death and taxes. Uh, there's some truth to that, I'm sure, but you got to really add the certainty of judgment, right? One of the things we know is going to happen is judgment. Jesus gives us a little picture of the judgment scene there and how some people are going to react in judgment. And, and Jesus is telling us that protest at judgment is futile. It won't do any good. So that means we need to make proper preparation here and now. What's your situation? Have you prepared for the certainty of coming judgment? We initially do that by obeying that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. And if you've not done that, but you know and understand your need to do so, we would urge you to make that decision without delay. If you need more help with understanding those requirements, say so, and we'll be glad to study with you. Do it before judgment, right? If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, know that you won't be able to protest at judgment either. You won't be able to say, well, I was once a Christian. I once was baptized. I served for a while, but then I slipped away. That's not going to work either, right? And so if you're a Christian who's not been living faithfully, come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.